Romans chapter 13, verse number 11. In that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, but in strife and envying, or strife and envying. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Let's pray to Heavenly Father. Lord, we want to say thank you. Lord, thank you for letting us be here this morning. Thank you for letting us be saved by the grace of God. Lord, thank you for making salvation available to every man. Lord, as you reminded me this week, Lord, there's some that don't hold to that doctrine and don't hold to that truth. But Lord, I'm thankful the Bible trumps all of men's opinions. God, that your word is true. And we ask you, Lord, this morning that you'd work in our hearts. Lord, I'm not preaching this message for 20 years down the road. I'm preaching it for right now, where we are, where we live. I ask you, Lord, this morning that you'd work in our hearts. Lord, from the pulpit down, help us to open up our hearts on purpose. Would help us to have the same attitude we find in the word of God. Speak, for thy servant heareth. We ask you, Lord, this morning you'd just do that. Only you can do this morning. And God, we'll give you the glory, we'll give you the praise. And Lord, we thank you for those that are visiting with us this morning. Lord, let them know that they're loved here. And we're so glad to see them this morning. And I pray, Lord, this morning that you would work in people's hearts so if there's somebody here that need this morning is to be saved by the grace of God. I pray, Lord, you'd work in their hearts. God, draw them to yourself. Lord, convict them of their sin. But Lord, show them Calvary. Show them an empty tomb. Lord, we conquer death, hell, and the grave. I ask you, Lord, that you'd draw them unto yourself this morning. Ask Lord, let me be a mouthpiece. Let me be out of myself, Lord, and fill me with the Spirit of God. We love and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. We right here in Romans chapter number 13 this morning. Paul is written to the Christians that are in Rome and he's got a heart for them, but he makes the statement in verse number 11. And I wouldn't necessarily say it's a profound statement, but it sure is a true statement. It's one that when you sit back and you think about it, it doesn't really necessarily take much thinking to come to the understanding that this is a reality. And here it is. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. And we understand this morning that each day that you and I live as saved individuals, we can go back to the time, we can go back to the place, we can go back to the moment where God saved our souls, he changed our lives, he now indwells in us and we can see where the journey began. But as we live day by day, we've come to the conclusion that the longer I live, the closer I'm getting. The longer that you and I live, the sooner it will be that this thing will be over. We'll head home to a place called heaven. But notice here this morning, the statement here in Romans chapter 13, verse number 11, isn't a statement of exclamation. 
In essence, when you and I read that, yes, every day we live, we get a little bit closer to heaven, ought to make us excited, ought to make us rejoice, ought to make us be happy and thankful that we're saved by the grace of God. This world is no longer our home. We're no longer a bond and a slave to sin, but Jesus has changed our life, and one day we'll spend eternity in a place called heaven, and boy, I can't wait for the day that that actually becomes a reality in my life. That ought to make us excited this morning. That ought to, that ought to revive us and, and make us rejoice this morning. When Paul writes it here, it's not, a, it's, not a, it's not a phrase of exclamation, but rather it's a phrase of explanation. He's explaining to them the reality that yes, we are getting closer to heaven, but with each day that we live, our time here is running out. The verse was written and he was explaining our need. Look at verse number 11. It is now, that now it is high time. Well, preacher, what does that mean? It'd be as if I went to you and, and I asked you what you need and you said, here's what I need, preacher. And I said, well, when do you need it? And you said, I need it by yesterday. That means I desperately need it now. And here Paul is telling them it is past time to wake up. It's past time to get up, to awake out of sleep. Why? For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. We see, notice this morning, the first century church is intriguing. Why? Because there's great persecution, that there's also a great work, and there's a great moving and the spreading of the gospel. But yet, they have been out of the first century, and there's already Christians asleep. There's already those that have dozed off, so to speak. And Paul tells them, hey, wake up. Get out of sleep. Because don't you know, every day you live, you're getting closer to the end. How many more do you think of falling asleep in our modern day? Comfortable Christianity. Lull me to sleep, pastor. Make me feel good. Say something nice and I'll go about my life. Can I say it's high time? It's already past time that you and I wake up and face the reality and face the truth that our time here is short. Our days are but a few. Our moments are fleeting. And we ought to use all that we have left for the glory of God. One of the questions that my kids ask me repeatedly throughout the day is this, Dad, what time is it? What time is it, Dad? Dad, what time is it? And I always answer because in their mind, they, there, there's certain expectations, there's certain things throughout the day that depending on what the time is, they know what they're supposed to be doing and what to expect. And I want us to ask our, that question to us this morning, what time is it? Simply put, it's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. Well, preacher, why must we wake up? First of all, out of sleep, we see an unprofitable position. Unprofitable position. There's a big difference between rest and sleep. Can I say the Bible teaches the necessity of rest in the Christian life? To stand still and see the salvation of God. To find you the cool, clear waters of the word of God. To find your, yourself in the presence of God. Resting on the promises of God. And enjoying that rejuvenation, that revival of the Christian life. But can I say this morning, more Christians are concerned with sleep than they are rest. Here's the thing, when you are asleep, you don't achieve nothing. You don't accomplish nothing. You don't live the Christian life in your sleep. You don't achieve things while you're sleeping. You don't, you don't do great things while you're snoring on a pillow. And so many Christians have become consumed with this idea of being comfortable. Don't wake me up. Don't challenge me. Don't convict me. Don't make me uncomfortable, preacher. 
I'm enjoying where I am. Can I say this morning, wake up? Wake up, sleeping's in a profitable position. Then we see the immediate need. Now it is high time. Like I said when I was praying this morning, I'm not preaching this message for 20 years from now. Now, praise, praise to the Lord this morning. If 20 years from now God takes this message and ingrains something deep down in your heart and establishes something that 20 years from now it is still fervent and there's still a fire burning and you're still serving the Lord, thanks God for all of that this morning. But listen, it won't be 20 years from now if we don't get a grip of it today. We don't understand it now. I'm not preaching for the future today. I'm preaching for right now. Now it is high time. Here's the thing this morning. If we don't wake up, and if we don't attempt to wake others up, how do we know they'll stop sleeping? If you've ever raised kids, one of the hardest things you'll ever do is get them out of the bed when they don't want to get out of bed. You can entice them. You can make it exciting. You can make it loud. But can I say, until there's a desire from the one that is asleep to get up, not much is going to change. Can I say this morning, I've come with a sincere heart to sound the alarm to wake up, but I can't drag you out of bed this morning. I can't force you out of bed this morning. But somewhere deep down in your heart, you're going to say, it is time for me to get up. Here's the thing, we can't go back to what we messed up 20 years ago. We can't go back to the, the stagnant life that we had for 20, 15, five years ago. Right now, we need a purpose in our heart that we are going to wake up because time is running short. Time is running short. We see the immediate need, but notice there's also a waning night. Look at verse number 12. The night is far spent. The night is far spent spent. Boy, how many glad one glad day the dark that we live in, the, the darkness of night that this world's in, one day will all be gone. It'll one day all be over. We'll leave this world behind to a place called heaven where there is no sin, there are no problems. But I was reading that verse and I got focused on that phrase far spent. Far spent. And I have a saying, and you probably have one too. You've worked all day, you're tired, you're wore out. You'll say something along these lines. I'm just about spent. I about give all that I can give. I'm just, there's nothing else I can give. I'm, about, I'm far spent. We're living in a day and age, and there's this idea and this, this thinking that as the days go on, Satan's getting stronger and stronger. He's gaining strength. He's getting more powerful. He's becoming greater. Can I say this one? I don't think that's the case. But as the days go by and as the, the moments go on, he's not getting stronger, but he's getting desperate. He knows that his time is running out. Can I say, there's going to be a day where Satan goes from being far spent to completely spent. He'll be able to do nothing anymore. This morning, we see the waning night but we also see the coming morning. The day is at hand. Boy, there's something beautiful about a sunrise. Something beautiful about a sunrise. Here's the thing. You gotta prepare to see a sunrise. If you wait on it, you just expect to wake up, you'll probably miss it. Some teenagers, they've heard about it, but they never... Here's the thing. You get, most people observe the sunset because they're already up. Boy, it takes anticipation to get up. 
T.R. is excited for his birthday. He asks us for one thing. Well, he's asked us for multiple things. But mainly asked us for one thing, and it was, I thought, am I raising a, I don't know what kind of kid I'm raising. Who thinks like that at the age of six? He said, Mama, Daddy, here's what I want for my birthday. I said, what do you want, son? He said, I'd like to go to the beach, see the sunrise. Sounds good to me. <laughs> you going to write a poem out right there? <laughs> write a novel? Well, there's something special about a sunrise. When that light begins to break the dark and begins to illuminate things, boy, sunrises bring hope. They bring expectation. They bring excitement. And I'm glad that there's one day the sun's going to rise to never set again. In a place where there will be no darkness this morning. We see here this morning, Paul is, he's adamant, he is, he is uh, not necessarily anxious, but he is, he is telling the Roman church, hey, it is time to realize what time it is. Can I say because of the pressing situation, because of the time that you and I are living in, because of the time that we have left, and because of the moments that are merely uh, just, just uh, may have a few more, we may have 10 more years, we don't know, but we know that our time is limited. I believe because of pressing situation, there's three things every Christian must be right now. Right now, where you are. Number one, you must be an armored Christian. You must be an armored Christian. Look at verse number 12. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, cast off the works of darkness. That which we used to be, let us leave it where it is. Let us leave it where Christ put it. Let us not pick it back up. Let's place it down and leave it there. Let's cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Those kids in children's church, they've been going through a series with Miss Holly on the armor of God. And if you go back there, you'll see all their, their I don't want it to self-portraits, outlines of them and They've got the different pieces of the armor of God on and learning about that. And this week, T.R. came with this great idea. He said, Dad, he said, I'm gonna make my own armor of God out of things around the house. I said, go for it, son. I'm just glad he's listening, amen. I'm glad he's, he's gaining those things. So him and Miss Raylan got together and they produced their armor of God. T.R. came walking out of his room with his chest poked out he said, look at me in all my armor. He had a Power Rangers helmet on. He had a He-Man sword. He had a Frisbee for a shield. He had a, a, a red Home Depot apron for his breastplate of righteousness. Had a leather belt tightened way too tight around his waist. And he had his tennis shoes on. He said, look at me, Dad. I've got my armor on. I said, you sure do, son. But here's the thing. I came to the realization he's grasped the concept. But let's be honest, he ain't gonna win no battles with that on. A little plastic He-Man sword ain't going to hurt nobody. Enough to make them stop. But we see here this morning, he came out. He's not going to fight any battles with that. Ephesians chapter 6 is where the armor of God's found. It's explained. It's outlined. But then the command is given to put on the whole armor of God. Let me ask you, plain and simple this morning, do you have it all on this morning? Before you came to church this morning, did you make sure, hey, I got to put my armor on? I got to make sure I have every piece on. So, preacher, why is it important? Because if you're missing any piece, that is a place and opportunity for Satan to attack in your life. 
He gave us the armor of God that we might be protected from the wiles and the attacks of Satan. Are you walking around half-dressed this morning or fully protected? Fully protected in the armor of God. Why? We must put on every piece. You need every piece to stand against the wiles of the devil to defend his fiery darts. You need the helmet of salvation. You need the helmet of salvation so you can have your mind renewed and aligned with the mind of Christ and the word of God this morning. You need to know what the word of God says, not because it sounds good, because you need to know that you can stand on the promises of God. You have to have your helmet of salvation on. You need to know that you're saved by the grace of God, not because you had a religious experience, not because you had an emotional experience, but because you, by faith, did what the word of God told you to do in order to get saved by the grace of God. You need the helmet of salvation. You need the breastplate of righteousness. Why? Your righteousness ain't no good. The Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags this morning. I'm not going to go into detail of what those filthy rags are, but you look at them and it's nothing that anybody wants. That's why when we have a yard sale, <laughs> you, don't, you don't just go out there and grab everything in your shed and just throw it out on the table. No, you go find you some Clorox wipes. You go find you some Windex. You find you some cleaning materials. You clean that stuff up. You get the dust off it. You want to make sure it looks good because nobody's going to buy dusty stuff. Nobody's going to buy dirty stuff. You try your best to clean it up. And I kind of say this morning, we need the breastplate of righteousness because our righteousness is no good. But God's righteousness is perfect. And when we operate under the righteousness of God, under the authority of God this morning, we're operating where we're supposed to be. His righteousness protects us this morning. It's perfect. You need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. You need the belt of truth. Why? The belt holds everything together. It holds everything up. Now, I, I'm, I, you can call me weird, whatever it is. Boy, if I don't have a belt on, talking about in a physical sense, something feels weird. I just can't operate like a normal human being. I'm worried <laughs> about things going down that need to stay up. I'm constantly holding my pain. I don't, I, mean, I don't want no accidents for nobody, myself included. But here's the thing. When I put a belt on, that worry goes away because that thing holds everything together. It holds everything in place. If I don't have it on, I'm relying on myself to keep everything up and to keep everything going. Can I say this morning, we need to rely on the truth of God's word, not our opinion, not just what somebody else says, not what we're being taught, not, not just what everybody else is doing. We need to go to the truth and hold on to the truth because the truth will hold you when nothing else can. We just need the belt of truth. You'll become consumed with holding up everything together yourself if you don't have the belt on. You need the shield of faith. TR came out with that 99-cent Frisbee. Somebody gave him, had a little dinosaur on it. I thought to myself, boy, one good punch. I could take that thing, punch it, break it in half. My fist would go straight through it right to his face. You never thought about hitting your kids? <laughs> See how they react, build character. And oftentimes we think about it, it's just a little tiny thing. But you've got to realize Paul as he's talking to those in Rome, they would understand what a Roman soldier looked like. They didn't have a little shield. They didn't have a little disc around their arm. They had a shield they could completely stand behind that covered them from top to bottom. Why is that important, preacher? Because what does the shield block us from? The fiery darts of Satan. The attacks of Satan this morning are blocked by the shield of faith. Why is that important, preacher? Because you and I, in of ourselves, are no match for Satan. 
If we do it by ourselves and do it our own ability, expect to get lit up by the fiery darts. But when you and I, by faith, believe and trust that God will take care of us and he will provide for us and he will protect us this morning, there's, there's nothing that Satan can do against God this morning that'll stick. You're no match for the enemy. You need something you can hide behind. David said, you are my high tower. I run into you. Aren't you glad this morning there's a place that every Christian can hide? Every place a Christian can get behind. There's one that'll cover and protect the Christian this morning and his name is Jesus. You need the shield of faith. You need the sword of the spirit, the word of God. I was looking for handguns and I was looking for concealed carry pistols to carry around and one of the things that they all try to market to you is their reliability. You can take this pistol, you can throw it in the mud, you can freeze it in an ice cube, you can send it to Mars and bring it back and it'll still shoot. It won't jam, it won't, it won't mess up, it is reliable. But can I say this morning, the best manufacturers, the best gunsmith, they're mere men at best. Sooner or later that thing's gonna fail. Can I say there's one thing that's guaranteed success 100% of the time? It is the word of God. You believe it, it will not fail. You trust it, it will not fail. You stand upon it, it will not let you slip. You, you, you believe it, you hold on to it, you live your life by it. Can I say this morning, it works 100% of the time. It's amazing how you take God's word, you read it, you study it, you meditate it, you hide it upon your heart, and it never gets out. It never leaves. It stays there. You need the sword of the spirit, it works 100% of the time. You need the shoes of the gospel. You need the shoes of the gospel to protect you from walking down the wrong path. You need to know what the Bible says. You need to know it's right. I'm glad when that young man asked me, he said, how can you go to heaven? I'm glad I didn't look at him and say, well, I don't know. I just thought it sounded good. You want some free coffee? I'm glad I was able to take him to the word of God, take him to the book of Romans and show him how he can know for sure he's going to heaven when he dies. Boy, we need to be an armored Christian right now. We don't need to spend another day half-dressed going out into the world. We need to be in the complete armor of God this morning. A couple weeks ago, we were in a museum. I think it was in Washington, Georgia. We were touring around an old antebellum house, and they were taking us around. There's old couches, there's old paintings, there's old cabinets, beautiful stuff. And then out of, it's, it was out of place because last time I checked, there weren't knights in America. We came after that. We had minute minutes, but we didn't have nights. And right there in the middle of that little house, not little big house, off to the corner, there was a complete set of body armor for a night. I'm talking about a helmet all the way down to the feet. It looked good. It looked nice. Matter of fact, it had been in that house since the late 1800s. One of the owners that went over into Europe and picked it up, bought it, and brought it back to America. It's been there for over 200 years, just about 200 years, sitting there, looking nice, but not really doing anything. It wasn't built to be displayed. It was built to protect. It looked good, but it wasn't doing any good. Here's the thing this morning. Me and you leave out the house. Me and you go about our everyday life, and we leave the armor at the, at the house. We leave the armor of God behind. Oh, it looks good. It's always right, but if it ain't where it's supposed to be, on us and in us, what good is it doing this morning? What good is it doing? Are you going to be the Christian that prepares every day by putting on the full armor of God? We must be. You must be armored Christians. Number two, you must be an honest Christian right now. 
Right now, you and I must be honest Christians. Look at verse number 13. Let us walk honestly. In the day, not rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. Can I say this morning, if there's one thing I can't stand, it's a liar. There's one thing that gets under my skin more than anything else, it's when I know that I've been lied to. And it's know that somebody who ought to know better and somebody who should know better and somebody who should do better lies to me. It's one thing to go out into a lost and dying world. Those that don't have the Holy Spirit inside of them, those that don't know the Lord on a personal level, I expect them to lie to me. I expect them to be selfish. I expect them to do those things. But I guess what hurts most is when those who should know better don't do better. Some of the greatest, and here's the thing, I'm not preaching that to them. Some of the greatest regrets of my life are the lies that I told. Here's the thing this morning. When you and I tell a lie, it is not because we're trying to solve a situation. It's because we're trying to manipulate it. We're trying to work it into our favor. You'll lie because you are trying to manipulate the situation. You ain't trying to fix it. <laughs> and please, whatever you do, do not take God's word to try to defend your lie. Preacher, I was just trying to be harmless as a dove and wise as a serpent. No, you lied. You lied. Can I say this morning, <laughs> there's ever been a time, right now it is time for Christians to be honest. To be honest. Right now, I'm not talking about 10 years, I'm talking about right now, you have to, we must be honest. You'll never find a relationship that is strengthened when lying is a part of it. No relationship will get better when it's built upon lies. Here, Paul tells him to walk honestly. Not just what we say, but what we do, how we act, who we are. Honesty isn't a suggestion for the Christian life. It is the expectation of the Christian life. God desires and expects you and I to be honest. Preacher, how can I remember to be honest? What is something practical that I can do in my life to help me remain honest in my life? Notice what he says, let us walk honestly as in the day. That means that you are being observed. People can see you. People are watching you. Everybody is watching you. Whether it's your children, whether it's your church members, whether it's your coworkers, whether it's your family, somebody is watching you. You are being observed. And here's the thing. When we aren't walking in honesty, verse 13 tells us some place we might find ourselves. If we're not walking honest before others and before God, where, where, where might we find ourselves? Please look at verse number 13. Not in rioting, not in rioting now, 2020, 2021, we know something about rioting here in America. We watched as people seemingly lost their minds, went crazy, and began to tear down various cities and, 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 and almost states within our country, and they called it rioting. But you look it up in your Bible, the word means reveling. In essence, it's giving the picture of somebody who is marching through the streets of a city and is parading their sin, they're parading their pride, they're parading everything that goes against God. They are, in essence, they are almost enjoying and trying to show everybody that I don't care what you think about me, 
I'm gonna live. I don't care what God thinks about me. I'm gonna do it how I'm gonna do. And can I say this morning, if we're not willing to walk honest, that we might find ourselves in the middle of that parade, walking around like they're doing. Don't find yourself in drunkenness, intoxication, being controlled and giving your control over to a substance or to a thing that is not God. Ephesians 5, 18, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. Intoxication doesn't just come from alcohol. It comes from the things of this world. It comes from pride. It comes from covetousness. It comes from jealousy. It comes from wanting what the world has to offer more than what God has already given you. Riding, drunkenness, chambering means to lie down with someone in an intimate way, to commit adultery, fornication. And can I say there's no verse in your Bible that you can find from Genesis to Revelation that supports fornication, that supports idolatry, that supports cohabitation together or common law marriage. God designed marriage for a reason. But if we're not willing to be honest, we might find ourselves participating in that. Wantonness or wantonness, shameless lust, seeming in favor of sin. Can I say in our modern Christian movement, our modern Christianity today, it seems like everywhere you turn, there's no longer a desire to live holy. There's no longer a desire to live separate. Now the mantra of the day is to see how much we can be like the world because if we're gonna reach them, we gotta be like them. Let me ask you, if we're going with the same stuff they already have, what are we gonna offer them? Can I say this morning, as a Christian, yes, I ought to know what we're for. I'm for Jesus, I'm for grace, I'm for forgiveness, I'm from the word of God, I'm for everything that God is for, but I'm also against everything that God's against. It's all right to say that's wrong, it's not right. Strife, contention. You know why some people are constantly in strife with others people? They're not willing to be honest. Not willing to be honest about it. Envying, contentious rivalry, jealousy. A dishonest Christian will be a jealous Christian, why? And here's the thing, you and I have no reason to be jealous. We have no reason to envy one another. Why? Because of where I ought to be. I ought to be in hell this morning. My life ought to be a wreck. My, my home ought to be a mess this morning. And you ought not even be sitting here listening to me preach, and I ought not be standing here preaching this morning. But for the grace of God, the fact that he changed my life, I have no reason to be jealous this morning because I know where I ought to be this morning. And here's the thing, if I say I deserve something and, I, and I, I've earned something and that I, de, that I deserve God's special favor in my life, I'm not being honest. I'm not being honest this morning. Wouldn't you think that life would be easier? Especially in the Christian life if everybody was like Pinocchio. Well, wouldn't it be easier? <laughs> you lying, how you gonna, your nose is growing. Go to turn sideways, bust it on the door frame. Preacher, wouldn't it be easier? Oh, I mean, I guess so. But it ought not even come down to that. Why? Every Christian that is born again has the Holy Spirit inside of them. And so if we had just yield to the Spirit of God, boy, it would cut down all the other stuff. It would remove all the other stuff out of our life if we would just yield to the Holy Spirit of God and be honest Christians. Let me ask you this morning, are you waiting to become an honest Christian? Quit waiting, become one now. Be one now. We must be an armored Christian. We must be an honest Christian. And notice number three this morning, you must be a holy Christian. When? Now. Now, we know the Bible tells us that God is holy. Psalm 
9.9. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill for the Lord our God is holy. We can agree this morning that God is holy. He's without error. He is perfect this morning. There is none like unto our God this morning. We can shout, we can rejoice over that, but then you turn to 1 Peter and God flips the tables on us. Look what he says in 1 Peter. He says, but as ye which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy when it's convenient. Be ye holy when everybody's watching you. Be ye holy in all manner of conversation. The word conversation means every part of your life. We ought to be holy. There ought not to be a time in our Christian life where we think it's okay to participate or to be unholy. Why? God's holy. And he says, since I'm holy and I dwell inside of you, be ye holy for I am holy. Preacher, how can I be holy? Verse number 14 tells us, put you on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put you on the Lord Jesus Christ. How can I be holy? Put on the Lord. So what does that mean in our modern day vernacular? If I was saying I was putting on, that's a bad thing. He's just pretending. He's just putting on. But in the Greek, in their language, in their understanding, it means to imitate one's example. It means to copy one's spirit. It means to become like them. Preacher, how can I be holy? Model your life after the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> now, I understand this one. None of us are going to be perfect. But we ought not to use that excuse to do however we want. We have a desire in our life and our heart to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. I was talking to my wife this week and I said as a Christian we both agree on it that our greatest example is not the men that necessarily came before us. It's not those who have blazed a trail for us. No doubt they've done great things. Our greatest example is Christ. Our greatest example is Christ and I got on that three circles thing and it, man, it bothered me. It rubbed me the wrong way. <laughs> a few things rubbed me the wrong way this week. That was just one of them. Preacher, <laughs> what other one taught me after service? I'll share them with you. The three circles, and I thought, where's the biblical example for that? I think John chapter number three. Nicodemus comes to the Lord at night, and he says, Master, we know thou art from God. For what you do and what you say and what you teach, only someone from God could do that. And Jesus said, thank you for coming into circle one. Hang out with me for a little while, Nicodemus. We'll work into circle two. And then at circle number three, I'll deal with salvation. What did Jesus say? You must be born again. John chapter number four, the woman at the well. <laughs> he didn't say, all right, hey, let's, let's work our circles out real quick. He said, go get your husband. He dealt with her sin right in the middle of the public, in a public place. Can I say this morning, we need to be holy Christians. We need to be like Christ when? Right now. We need to express his love right now. We need to show his compassion right now. We need to stand upon his promises right now. We need to sound his word right now. We need to portray his purpose right now. We need to put on the Lord Jesus Christ right now. In the same time we're putting him on, look what it says right there in verse number 14, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust of their own. The same time we're putting them on. Here's, here's the secret to the Christian life. Anytime there's something that is taken off, there's always something that is put on. Anytime we're commanded to put something on, there must be something that has to be taken off. 
And it's a biblical principle that you'll see throughout the word of God. We see it here in verse number 14. As we're putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to be putting off the flesh this morning. Putting away the flesh, making no provision for the flesh. Preacher, how do I deal with my flesh, make no provision of it? That word provision means to prepare and plan for your thought life. Can I say every sin you ever committed started with a thought? You didn't accidentally sin. You chose to. I understand sometimes that's tough and that's hard because there's times in our life where we feel like we don't have any other option. The Bible tells us that he is faithful to provide an escape from every temptation. So in one way or another, we denied the escape and we chose to give in to our flesh. Here's the, the more you dwell on it, the more you'll desire it. The more you think about it, the more you'll want it. I know that's deep. I know that's theologically amazing this morning. But can I say this morning, if we're not willing to take those thoughts and put them under subjection of Christ and to filter them through the word of God this morning and we just sit there and dwell on it, we will not defeat it this morning. Our flesh will win every time. I have a hankering for ice cream. I've never tasted ice cream that wasn't bad. Mint, chocolate chip, close, but not bad. But I will be sitting around the house, and I'll tell Miss Becky, so Miss Becky, I really want some ice cream. Don't that sound good? And she'll say no. She'll say things like, you don't need that. You're thinking about it. Go brush your teeth. Why? Because she knows if I keep thinking about it, I'm going to grab the keys of the car. And I'm going to go to the store. And I'm going to get me some ice cream that I don't need. Oh, I want it. And the longer I dwell on it, the more I think I deserved it. I've earned it. I got out of bed this morning. I deserve ice cream. Can I say this morning? It's funny, definitely thinking about that. But it's amazing what we'll use to excuse our flesh. We'll say things like, I deserve to do this. It ain't going to hurt me that bad. It's not going to make that big of a difference. Here's the thing, if you make no provision for it, if you don't think about it, you don't dwell on it, listen, your thought life, if it's like my thought life, in the midst of praying, crazy things can pop into your head. You got to put that before Christ. So Lord, I don't want to think about this no more. Get you some scripture and quote it when it comes up to you. When you know that temptation's there, learn verses like, get thee behind me, Satan. I will let no evil thought before Christ. Begin to take those thoughts and put on the subjection of Christ. Make no provision for it. Don't fulfill it. Look what he says. And make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Don't go through with it. Don't go through with it. There's something you struggle with and you know what's on the way home. It should take you a few minutes to pull in and grab it and go another way home. Preacher, that's a waste of gas. Can I say I'd rather pay $3.29 a gallon and keep my testimony? You've got to learn not to fulfill it, not to go near it, to get rid of it. Hold yourself accountable. Here's a statement this morning. Only guilty people hide things and get mad when they're found out. We learn to be accountable. 
and put those provisions and those protections in our life this morning to keep our flesh from winning this morning, there's a lot of regret that you and I will miss out on. As a husband, as a spouse, you should have no problem with your spouse going through your phone. As a child growing up, and as a teenager, you should have no problem with the adult authority in your life going back behind you on the computer. Preacher, hey, I'm being practical this morning. On my phone right now, it's in my office. We've got an app on there called Life 360. It's free. It tells my wife everywhere I go. It tells me everywhere she goes. Preacher, why, you don't trust her? Oh, no, I, I trust her completely this morning. But it brings accountability into our life. Can I say this morning, because any time you and I give into the flesh and we fulfill the lust thereof, there's always devastation that follows it that can be 100% avoidable if we would not give in and fulfill the lust of the flesh this morning. Let me ask you, you're going to be a holy Christian who puts on the Lord Jesus Christ or you be a carnal Christian who puts up with your flesh and lets it make the decisions for you? We need to be armored Christians. We need to be honest Christians. And we need to be holy Christians right now. Right now, we need to be those three things. Why? It's high time. The night's far spent. The morning's coming. Our salvation is nearer than we believe this morning. We don't have time to wait. It must start now. Let's all stand this morning, every head bowed, every eye closed.